This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back. Uh, this follows on a conversation we had yesterday. Global News investigative journalist Sam Cooper has been working on, on this file, and I think Canadians are becoming much more aware of China's attempts to extend and exert global influence. Now, we've heard some uh, information come to light, of course, about attempts by China to influence or affect uh, Canadian elections, starting with the 2019 election. The story yesterday about a memo, a security memo, a national security document that warned that influence operations from China were likely to be more persistent and pervasive in future elections. So this isn't going away, and this isn't just a one-off. And this is a very deliberate and somewhat recent uh, strategy on China's part. And it's certainly not unique to Canada. The fascinating new book out, uh, looking at how China is trying to actively insert itself into many other countries, elections, social media, media, overall politics, Canada, the United States, and others. Uh, The book is called uh, Beijing's Global Media Offensive, China's Uneven Campaign to Influence Asia and the World. Joining us on the line here this morning is uh, the author of that book, Joshua Kurlancic, is a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations. And to mention Beijing's Global Media Offensive is the book. Joshua, great to have you with us here today. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. I think the strategy is certainly becoming more apparent. It's been a big issue here in Canada, as obviously it is in in the United States. But, But how recent is this, first of all? Well, it dates back about 10 years, but the strategy was, at least, but the strategy was first sort of developed in some of the countries in China's near neighborhood, like Taiwan, uh, or places Taiwan, Australia, New Zealand, Southeast Asia. And China has now sort of expanded its influence operations to um, liberal democracies in North America and Europe and other parts of the world. So it it dates back basically the time that Xi Jinping became leader of China, although China had some influence efforts in the past before that, but limited to their own neighborhood. And uh, it's expanded dramatically in prominent liberal democracies in the West in the last few years. Right, and obviously China's not the first global power to want to have global influence, uh, but what's unique about what China's doing? Well, some things are unique and some things aren't. Um, mm-hmm. China's efforts to con- spread disinformation and misinformation on social media platforms isn't really that different from Russia's. And some of the things that China does, like paying politicians allegedly in a whole wide range of places, isn't necessarily new. It's just China has not really engaged in that in the past, and they have the resources to do it more in the future to surpass Russia as in those ways. Um, some of the things that are new is um, China, because there's a lot more Chinese language speakers outside of China than there are Russian speakers or speakers of another major authoritarian power. One of the things different is China has increasingly gain control of the Chinese language media in most 
countries around the world, including many liberal democracies, not total control, but a lot of it. And that um, very much allows them to promote pro-Beijing narratives in the Chinese language media, which is important in places like Canada and, and others. In addition, um, they have ramped up their state media efforts, like the the efforts by their own state media, their own China-based state media, although not necessarily local Chinese language media, although those have only been moderately successful. Yeah. Well, and it gets the question of to what end. I mean, you alluded to it. It's obviously about uh, influencing politics in other countries, influencing policy decisions. You know, perhaps some of it is, you know, and certainly there's stories that come to light in Canada about attempts to sort of influence or intimidate uh, the diaspora community. So what what is the objective of all of this? Well, I think the primary objective of these new efforts to wield power within other societies and political systems, which... China really hadn't been focused on 10 or 12 years ago. It's multifold. One, China feels like they lack sort of what they call discourse power, the ability to shape global narratives, but those are shaped by prominent liberal democracies and their media outlets. So they want to they be able to shape global narratives as well about China and about other issues. Um, second, at least before zero COVID and the problems China has had recently, there was an effort to kind of promote um, China's model of development um, to a wide range of other countries, not necessarily liberal democracies, but a wide range of developing countries. Um, Third, they want to use their discourse power or their ability to control narratives to promote self-censorship in a whole wide range of countries about um, China's domestic and foreign policies. And then, you know, I think for um, they want to, in some ways, do disinformation in other ways, um, generally denigrate sort of the effectiveness and utility of democracy, um, a strategy Russia has used for many years, although yeah. China's ability to do that has been weakened severely by its problematic domestic policies over the last three years. Well, it yeah, begs the question, I guess, of how effective that has been, both in terms of just, you know, more, more recent history. But looking back even over the past decade or so, like, to, to what extent would we be able to gauge the success of all of these efforts? Well, China's big state media, like China Global Television Network and China Radio International, which are their two of their three main big state media, have not been very successful in gaining large audiences. Xinhua, their newswire, has been quite successful and is expanding and probably has been very has been increasingly successful at sort of getting pro-Chinese China narratives into news outlets all over the world. In terms of gaining control of um, locally owned Chinese language media in countries from Canada, the U.S., to Australia, to many others, Thailand, Malaysia, and many others, um, China, China has been quite successful so that um, Chinese readers and speakers and viewers in many countries, China, Chinese first viewers, like that's their first source of information, have really had a narrowing of their um, ability to access independent coverage of China. Um, the, in, the more old-fashioned influence 
activities like paying politicians and things like that. Um, I don't think there's that much evidence they've had that much success. They've been caught multiple times in places like Australia and other places in the U.S. And what that has led to is a significant backlash against foreign interference in politics, including legislation passed in Australia, very tough legislation, very tough legislation passed in Singapore, um, a real hardening in the U.S. of um, China against China's influence activities um, and Europe considering some of the same things as well as many of these places considering taking tougher measures against foreign investment of all types in the media and information sector. So those sort of old-fashioned influence efforts haven't been that effective. And in terms of the misinformation and disinformation on social media platforms, it, it has might have had some moderate effectiveness, but it still is pretty unsophisticated compared to Russia's efforts. Right. Um, China's experts, efforts on social media platforms have often been more easily exposed, and so they've had mixed success with that. Which shouldn't lead to complacency, clearly, and I know it's become an issue here in Canada, and are we doing enough to, to combat this? So you mentioned the steps that some other countries are taking. Australia is an interesting one. What, what other, are other countries doing? What can be done to, to effectively counter this? Well, a number of things. Countries should treat foreign investment, not just from China, but from any foreign actor in media and information, the same way they would treat as a sensitive as a sensitive area of investment, the same way they would treat investment in in um, technologies that might have dual use for military usage, etc., media and information should be a sensitive sector that should apply stricter scrutiny. Um, countries, I think, liberal democracies should copy aspects of Australia's foreign interference law and tighten rules on. Um, Foreign donors giving money in politics, et cetera, probably ban foreign donations in politics, as well as take a much stricter scrutiny of foreign donations to universities and research institutes in the country. Um, countries should um, spend more money on digital literacy programs for their for younger people as well as for adults. So that they can, but particularly for younger people in schools, incorporate that as part of school curricula, which a number of countries have done. Particularly those, some of those most threatened by China, like Taiwan, mm -hmm. that would help citizens be able to eventually better recognize the difference between disinformation and real information. Um, and liberal democracies need to make sure that liberal democracy uh, continues to be healthy as an actual democracy healthy democratically, um, which has not always been the case over the last 10 years, but also healthy in, in the sense that liberal democratic states are able to provide effective governance um, that shows that they can. Um, one of China's selling points in the past was that they were better at governance than liberal democracies. Right. And in the last 10 years, they're liberal democracies have not had their best decade in necessarily governance and there's been gridlock in not just in the United States but in many, many, many liberal democracies. The UK has had a lot of problems. Um, Australia had a lot of problems before, etc. And so the, the better that liberal democracies can 
show that they're not only free and open and true democracy, but capable of effective governance, the more it diminishes China's claim that their sort of model of development is superior. Look, in the book is called Beijing's Global Media Offensive, China's Uneven Campaign to Influence Asia and the World. Joshua, thanks so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate it. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.